we assume that being an educational leader revolves around making deposits. What I mean is that we invest our time supporting and growing others. And when we help others, we are usually making deposits. There'll come a time, however, when we need to make a withdrawal. When we need to have someone do something they don't want to do or have a conversation they don't want to have. This pattern of making deposits and withdrawals applies to our interactions with parents, with students, teachers, and likely other leaders. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself because the actual topic of today's show is supporting teachers in their third through fifth years. However, the theme that will emerge is about banking. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email, and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Lisa Perry is a veteran English teacher and PK through 12 principal who served the Arlington School District in South Dakota for more than two decades. She's proud to lead the 2021 National Blue Ribbon Elementary School and 2020 ESEA Distinguished Elementary School, and she was honored to be named the 2022 South Dakota Region 1 High School Principal of the Year. One of her most gratifying experiences is being asked to co-develop and facilitate the South Dakota Department of Education's Good to Great Teacher Mentoring Program, which focuses on taking teachers in their third through fifth years from good to great. In addition to working with South Dakota educators, Lisa enjoys attending conferences and presenting to individuals working in other professions and states. Her expertise transcends the K-12 space and includes a focus on, among other topics, master mindsets, meaningful messaging, and likable leadership. And I need to mention, Lisa loves alliteration. Hello, Lisa, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I have been excited for this. I look forward to our conversation this morning. I think it's going to be a fun one, but we always start with celebrations. So what are you celebrating today? Well, school starting a week from yesterday, and my teachers, my staff is back in school on Monday and Tuesday for in-service. Um, we're in early August right now, but we'll be back next week, and kids will be here on Thursday. Right now, I can hear the volleyball players in the gym. I saw the cross-country kids running, and I love, you know, there's that uh, Christmas song. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and I, I play that for kids when they come back, because to me, this is the most wonderful time of the year. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think one of the special things about being in education is how seasonal it is and how each season does bring something special. And that fall is always just this magical time. 
Absolutely. It's time to get going. I always joke, I'm always ready to be done and I'm always ready to get started. And I think that so many <laughs> people feel that way. So we we start awfully early here, uh, and most of us in South Dakota, but but we get done early too. And it's just nice to have that break, but boy, it feels good to come back and welcome kids and families and staff back. I, I love this time of year. Yeah. Lisa, is there a story that would help listeners understand why you do what you do? Um, you know, I had really good teachers and I loved school. And I think that through the years, and, and I grew up in a lot of different communities. We moved a lot. I, I was born in North Dakota. I lived in Kansas. I lived in New Mexico. We came back up to South Dakota. Um, my dad was in a job that relocated him often. And I think, um, especially when you're a student that moves a lot, and I'm very in tune with my kids who move in and out because it's not easy. Um, but I, I feel like I always had teachers who took an interest in me and took care of me even when I was new. And I think that that stuck with me. Um, my dad worked in long-term healthcare and he was what you called a nursing home administrator back in the day. And so watching him work with people's parents, grandparents, you know, a very vulnerable population, just like our students. I, I think I just grew up with this idea of people looked out for me. My dad looked out for people, people that others really cared about. And that background motivated me to be an educator who wanted to make things as easy as they could be for people. And I can't take away all the pain points. Teachers couldn't take away all my pain points. My dad couldn't take those all away from his residents and their families. But there's a lot a teacher or a school leader can do to just kind of smooth sand, you know, the rough edges of a kid's or, or a teacher's life. And so I think all along, I was learning to be an educator. I maybe just didn't know it. I love that story. And I love how it actually reflects what you're doing today, specifically why you came on the show is to talk yeah. about supporting early career teachers, not yeah. in years one and two, but the, the kind of three to five. And, and as you were talking about that story, I just got to thinking like those teachers are in a very vulnerable space, really the very. third to fifth year. I mean, it's, it's a chance to accelerate, but it can also be a vulnerable space. And, and so you bringing that, that background into focus on that work today, I think that's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. We were, we were talking a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, um, getting ready for this show. And one of the things that you said in your work with the, the early career teachers was, I don't want it to be an add-on. I want to help you get better at what you're already doing. And that really st struck with me. And I, of course, my head went immediately to assistant principals. And I love this idea that as we help people grow, we have to remember, it's not about you're going to do something additional, or we're going to have you do something that doesn't, that you can't use right now. It is about helping you in the moment making life a little bit better and making your leadership better. That's right. And, you know, I, I think about three things as, as you kind of bring this topic to the surface, three things teachers are already doing or, or need to be doing is, you know, communicating, um, asking questions as part of an instruction period and providing feedback, or I like to talk about feed forward. And that's not my word, but it's one that I picked up. These are things that are already baked in 
to a teacher's role and responsibilities. And so when I when I work with new new teachers or new-ish teachers, I like to call the three to five people new-ish. Um, I, I try to take those things. I'm going to go back to that idea of sanding. I'm kind of obsessed with this metaphor. You know, I'll, I'll let's say I listen to a, a teacher um, during an instruction period, and I'll really focus in on the way the teacher is asking questions. And that's something that small tweaks to can make a tremendous difference in, and they're doing it already. So I'm not in there saying, here's what I need you to add, because here's the truth. And I think if anybody listening is going to tell the truth, they say this too. It's really hard to undergo a fundamental change. And so what I've learned in my 51 years on this earth is it's way easier for me to take something that's already an inclination or a habit and refine it than it is to try and say, okay, and I'm a loud talker. I don't know if that's coming through here, but every <laughs> year I come into school, I and my stu students are always like, oh my gosh, she's so loud. I get excited. And every year I say, I'm not going to be as loud. I'm going to keep it under control so that my neighbors don't have to shut their doors. And every year I fail because it's just, it's who I am. But I can take some of the the routines that I do, the the best practices that I do, and I can make those better. And even as a veteran, uh, going into my 30th year, I still try to do that. But when I when I talk to new and newish teachers, I try to find something they're already doing that's fundamental to their role and their responsibilities. And let's fine tune that. Let's sand that. And I think people have so much more success and they feel so much less threatened. when you're not trying to change them. You're just trying to like nuance that one little aspect a bit. Lisa, I love that for several reasons. And one of them, of course, is when we focus on that small kind of technical piece, it's much easier to, to learn what we're, we're trying to do yeah. to practice implementing it and then to be able to refine that and make that better. So taking that one small tweak, we can actually do it and do it right. Right. And like you said, it makes that difference every day. And once we get that tweak, then we can move to the next one. And so if we're continually able to make these small incremental upgrades to our practice, look where we are after, right. after a year. And because it's right. all small, we master it and it sticks. Absolutely. So all those little things add up. Um, you know, we went, I, I don't know if I shared with you, I did a big long distance hiking trail. We threw hike the Penine oh. way in England this summer. All the listeners are sick of hearing about it maybe, but we did 270 miles. And, and one of the things that really struck me was that we would have these days where there were these awesome, magnificent sites, these big rivers and waterfalls, but there were lots of days where we were just hiking and there were these little rivulets and little streams and tiny waterfalls. And it, they were absolutely as beautiful and as special as the big ones. And without all these tiny little streams, there would be no big waterfalls. Right. And, and one of the big ahas for me coming, coming back into schools is thinking those small things are much more plentiful than the big things. Yeah. So A, if we can celebrate them and we can appreciate them, that enriches all of our days. But then also, if we can keep focusing on making those small things a little bit better, that's what leads to the big things. It's not the big things. Right. And, you know, one really actionable thing that I will talk to a teacher about is the idea that if you're if you're in a classroom with students and you're and you're leaping into a, like a full blown Q&A or just even a mini one, 
the minute you say to, you know, the minute you say, Lisa, what is, or how do, or, everyone else is off the hook, right? And I'm the only one that's got to pick up that cognitive load. So one of the tiniest little tweaks that I give to teachers is don't identify your answerer. So much better to say, um, I want you to think about this. I'm going to call on a couple of you. And as a ELA teacher and AP comp teacher, they've always have to have their notebook in front of them and something to write with. And I want them to just scratch down a few ideas and own it. And I, and I give it, I give them an out. I always say, if you don't have anything, which is pretty rare, but it happens sometimes, write peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, because then nobody needs to know that you're struggling in that moment. So write whatever you want. We're going to come and we're going to talk about it. And I like, I, I just think it's really important to not let kids off the hook so quickly by saying this question's for you. And because that means it's not for me. And so, you know, if that's something that can be helpful to the listeners, it's just, you want there to be urgency among everybody in the room. You want everybody to be going through that thinking process. And if you do that, think of how many more seconds or minutes or hours in a month or a year kids are thinking rather than kind of sitting back and going, okay, she's got this one. He's got that one. Yeah. And let's play with one more example. And this one feeds right into it. I've been in a lot of classrooms where teachers are working so hard and yep. they're presenting material and they're asking questions and they're trying to get kids to think. And yep. that level of engagement just isn't quite there. And, yep. and that's a, imagine if we can make a few little tweaks and that's all yep. it is a couple yep. little tweaks that those teachers can use to increase that engagement. Now kids are more engaged, kids are learning better, but that yep. teacher is happier because they're yep. getting they're getting the positive feedback during the lesson. Absolutely. And you're hearing when someone is off in the ditch and not with you. And that's good too, because then you're like, okay, we're a little bit off here. Let's bring that back. Um, you know, talk writing something down, talking to someone else. Some kids, they can write it down, but they can't speak it. Some kids can write it down and they can speak it to one another, but they can't speak it to the class. Some kids can speak it to a small group, but not the class. Some kids can speak it to the class. Some people would love to get on the all call intercom and speak it to everybody. You know, we, we've got such a range of, of the way to be a student and just some small changes. And it's easy to find these, you know, um, just with Google searches and heck, you could probably ask chat GPT for strategies for asking questions in ways that would engage kids. But that's that's really one place that I go with teachers. And it's such a common thing to want to call on someone and you have somebody's name and there's value in that too. But you just want to wait a minute and let everybody wrestle with it for a moment. That's important. Yeah. So before we go into any more specifics, um, I'd like to ask the difference between what you're calling the newish teachers, right? I think you're working primarily with three to five. And I I coordinated entry year teacher programs for six or seven years. I work with pre-service teachers some now. So I'm pretty familiar with that pre one, two. How are those teachers in their third to fifth years different from the teachers in that first and second year? The I think there's kind of four stages in anything, including education. The new people um, don't even know what they don't know. You know what I mean? You come out, you don't even know what you don't know. Three to five people, they're starting to figure out what they don't know. 
And they're starting to come, I think, for a little bit more targeted feedback. Then you get the middle, middles, they think they know. And then you get to my age and you're back to knowing you don't know. I I, I see that. I see that in, in my age colleagues, people who are closer to the end than the beginning, we're questioning everything again. That when I am with years three through five teachers, I see and I hear myself because we know we don't know and we're looking for assistance. We have gotten our buns kicked a couple of times in the arena and we, and we want to make it better. And, and so I really think veteran teachers can be aligned very well with years three through five, because I think we have a similar mindset. I think people who are in year 10 are harder because they kind of think they've got it. And, and maybe that was just me. So I'll, I'll maybe just say that was my arc. I didn't know what I didn't know. I knew I didn't know. I knew everything. I don't know. And that's, that's kind of the evolution of my career. Um, I've worked with, you know, <laughs> countless three to five year teachers and I see myself in them and they, they have very pointed questions. They have a need for very specific feedback and that makes them just a pleasure to work with. And it makes them easy to work with in my experiences. I love that. And I think I, I want to walk through that just real briefly again. And I want listeners to think about you listener, where, where are you in, mm -hmm. this, in this progression? Yeah. Because I, yeah. I really haven't heard it explained that way. So that, that first thing that right off the bat, you get out and your eyes are wide and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, for sure. And, and then you start to uh -huh. understand and you start uh -huh. to realize there are things you don't know. Yes. Then you reach that point of, <laughs> yeah. we think, okay, now I'm experienced. Now I've, I've got, I got it. This. You think, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then you find out, wait a minute. No, I know. I don't know. I don't know. I thought I knew. And that parenting is the same. Marriage is the same. You know, I think there's so many things that are the same. Um, and I'm sure other careers go through that or, and like I said, I don't want to uh, impose my experience on anybody who's listening, but if I'm being very transparent, I would say that has definitely been the arc of my development. And I'm so happy to be back in that place where I'm hungry to learn from others and to take all that I know because of my experiences and add to that. I'm, I'm more a learner now than I was 10 years ago, because 10 years ago, I, I, you know, I thought that, oh, yeah, you know, I got this. I got this. I, I didn't. And so um, maybe some, maybe this resonates with some people who are listening. I hope so. I hope I'm not the only one who thought I knew. <laughs> well, it absolutely hits with me. And when you just said I'm more of a learner now, I that's exactly what I was yeah. thinking that there's, I think there's a humility that yes. comes at this point. Yeah, we know a lot of stuff. And, and, yeah. And I'm okay with the label of expert on some things, mm -hmm. but I also realize just still how much there is to learn and how many amazing people yeah. are out there to learn from. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have one on the show today. So thanks again <laughs> for being here, Lisa. Hey, let's, <laughs> let's dive in. I think the, the premise is that assistant principals that you can provide some understanding for assistant principals for being more specific 
and targeting their support on teachers in their years three, four, five. So one of the things we've already established is that these teachers are seeing like, oh, I can grow in these areas and they, they want to grow. So this is a great group of people for assistant Absolutely. principals to dive in with. They're the best. And I think we talked about kind of three big areas, um, communication, Increasing Engage. student, student engagement, engagement yep. and, and then the, the classroom management. So where yep. do you want to start? Let's start with communication. Um, we actually just rolled out some PD for our, we call them good to great uh, teachers in years three through five. So we have a good to great mentoring program here in South Dakota. And my piece specifically, I deal with family communication. And, and one of the things I really try to get the, um, the good to graders, I'll call them, three through five teachers to understand is that each generation has somewhat different expectations around communication. We have different expectations around the channels. Um, I'm an emailer and a phone caller. I've got two, ch two children who are, I've got a newish daughter into education and a brand new son going into education now. Their preferred modes of communication are not email and phone calls. Their preferred methods of communication are texting, um, Snapchat, other social media, video calls, FaceTiming. They're not, you know, I'm living in the stone age compared to them. And we're really not that much apart in age, right? 20 some years, but they're quite different than I am. And one of the things I think is really important for, and, and I got to be careful because not every three through five teacher is young. Some people have been in another career and they're my age and they're a three through five teacher. But generally speaking, I'm dealing with people in their you know, early 20s. And what I tell them is you've got to be aware of those differences and expectations uh, because the channels that we prefer, um, our method of communication, you know, formal versus informal and colloquial. Um, and then our expectations on the response end. This is probably one of my biggest frustrations as, as someone who leads younger people. If I text or email you, or if you text or email me, I'm going to be responsive in a very timely manner. And, and thus, I expect the same. We expect ourselves out of others, which is always a bad idea. I wrote about that on LinkedIn recently. Um, younger people, if they don't, they may or not, may not respond. And they're surely not going to respond today. And so what I try to tell young teachers is there is nothing wrong with your communication style. But you've got to be mindful that that can be really incongruent with the expectations of the person with whom you're communicating. So I like to just talk about generations. Now, some parents are young and they're kind of in that same age range as, as uh, some of these teachers. But if you're dealing with older parents or you communicating with grandparents or guardians or, or maybe a fellow teacher, it's very important to be mindful of the expectations of the person with whom you're communicating so that you're meeting their needs and you're not unintentionally alienating them because you don't you don't want to not respond with really there's no message in that and i read that as being blown off being disregarded so you got to be careful about how people are going to interpret not even just the language of your message but your channel your timeliness your tone all of these things matter and i often like to say this too um and I think this is so important for any educator. Of course, it gets emotional. We're dealing with people's children. 
And if you didn't think it was going to be emotional, then you didn't think it through. And I'm going to go back to watching my dad deal with the families of, you know, aged Americans, aged, aged uh, community members. It was emotional sometimes. People got fired up over the, the way that their parents, their grandparents, their family friends were living. And thank God they did. Like I, I sometimes say to teachers, would it be better if we had no one who ever got fired up about the things happening with their kids? And so when it comes to communication, I'm not saying we should accept abuse or threat, but I'm saying we should expect emotion. And, and there are times to actually be grateful that somebody showed up for this kid to say, hey, what's going on up there? I need some answers. That's your kid. Yeah, you're entitled to that. So here's a little line that I tell myself all the time. Yes, it's personal. That doesn't mean it's about me. It's personal. These are your children. It, it, you might think it's about me in this moment. You might be acting like it's about me. It isn't about me. It's about you and your fear around your kids. And that's what I think about when I'm dealing with somebody who is upset. Of course you're upset. It's your children. Yeah. And as, as teachers, our focus is on our craft and what we're doing and how we fit into this situation. And it's, it's natural when that right. emotionality comes in for us to think about that it's about us. And that's funny. Okay. That's one of the big things I'm trying to get across to um, intern teachers. Like it's not about you. Your right. the kids don't, they don't go home worried about you. <laughs> there's right. all kinds of other issues. And, right. and I think there's so much power in that when when a teacher can realize or an assistant principal dealing with similar things right it's yes. not a it's not about me when we can take our emotion out of it now we can actually start listening because a lot of times what the messaging that comes out of that emotion is not really accurate messaging Absolutely. And, and so if we focus on the emotion we get hung up on something that's inaccurate and so we can start to listen when we take our emotion out. We can start to listen. Okay, what's really happening here? What's what's the real yes. concern? And right. then we can get down to what the root problem is, not whatever came out on the surface. Right. And and getting dysregulated yourself. I mean, a dysregulated person has never calmed down another dysregulated person. It just it, it's just a recipe for disaster. And so you 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 just have to stay in your mind that this is this is difficult, probably driven by fear. Most of the time when people are upset, there's a fear, a fear of all sorts of things that surround their kids, you know, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear, fear of labeling, um, fear that you, you're actually principal Perry or teacher Perry, you're looking at my child and you're judging me because my child, like there's all these fears. And, and honestly, I, I can get upset and I do not bring the best version of myself to a situation where I feel like my children have been, you know, in danger or I have been in danger. We don't show up as the best version of ourselves. Why do we think that parents should come in and just be able to communicate about something that's, that can be so volatile and always have their best heads about them? Um, I, I, I think that it's just important to understand, you know, if we know that that's going to be part of the relationship with some people, I think then we can just kind of be a little bit more stoic and a little bit more controlled. And again, this is not about being berated and this is not about being belittled and about being attacked.
but it's just understanding that sometimes the verbal vomit has to come out. And honestly, if you can work through um, a situation with a, with a student's family in that manner, that can really be a bonding experience that if you handle it right, moving forward, you're better off than you were before. Um, the other thing I really like to say is that communication is a lot like banking. I'm going to put $100 in at Citizen State Bank in Arlington if I want to make a $50 withdrawal. And I try to anticipate the, the students with whom I'm going to have a, a negative interaction. And I try to be proactive and message something positive first. This summer, even, I've been sending messages to home to families. Just, I'm anxious to have your student back. Because I know at some point, whether it's day one of school or day 176 of school, we're probably going to have to have a conversation that's less pleasant. I don't want to make a withdrawal if I have not made a deposit. And I urge teachers to think about that too. When you're, when you're meeting your class or when you, your class is coming in and you're, you're starting to identify some of the students who bring in some behavioral or some academic challenges, and you're going to have to sit across from a parent and say, boy, really struggling in reading or really struggling with um, um, executive function issues, the backpack's a disaster, the desk is a disaster. What can you mention first that's positive? And I'm not talking about the sandwich in the conversation, you know, friendly, total disaster, always helpful at lunch. And I'm talking about days, weeks, months before you have to talk about the executive function deficits. You find a way to communicate some really cool value in this kid. I know we're going to get into some other great things, but I would suggest if if somebody just got into their garage and they have to turn this podcast off now, the takeaway to this point is this idea that you can't make a withdrawal before yeah. you make a deposit. Banks so don't I let love you that. do it. And Banks it's so don't simple. let you do it. Parents shouldn't either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What a, what a great concept um, to remember. And so simple. I'd also add two ideas that really made it so much easier for me to engage with parents in a more productive way. The first thing was realizing that just everybody deserves respect. You're a human being. Yep. You deserve respect. And I guess that should be easy, but I had a lot of confidence. We'll call it confidence, not arrogance. I had a lot of confidence when I was a young teacher and thought I knew everything as we talked about earlier but understanding that everybody deserves respect. And the second piece of that, every parent is doing the best they can. Nobody gets up in the morning and, and thinks, how can I be a terrible parent today? Parents are doing the best we can. We don't know all of the things that are going on behind the scenes. We don't know what happened that day. And when they come in, they're advocating for their kid in the best way they know how. And once we can accept that they deserve respect and that they're doing the best we can, all of a sudden I don't have to judge them. And as soon as I get out of the judgment game, now I can get into the serving game. And it just, for me, it's, it was such a powerful thing to have me stop judging people. And then I can start serving and listening. We, you know, we really, um, humans love to fill in the blanks, you know, and I think really often we're, quick to tell ourselves a story that isn't true. 
we don't know why this parent is prickly or, you know, what's behind it. So we fill in the blanks, right? Um, they hate me. Uh, they, they don't value education. They don't care about their kid. We, and, and that's just human. So like, we, we're not very good at just sitting on why, you know, we like to answer it. And this is something that I think newish teachers really need to know. And I think this is an epiphany for them. Sometimes teachers are very intimidating to a lot of adults. And I came into education because I had a great school experience. Newsflash, some people hated school. What, what they brought in terms of skills and gifts, school did not reward. In fact, school totally obliterated their self-esteem because there was no currency for what they were good at. So a parent doesn't come to conferences. A parent is very terse and short and brusque when visiting with you. Could be 1000% self-defense and inadequacy and not anger and not apathy. And, and teachers, teachers, here's a takeaway. Don't sit across your desk from a parent. That is a power play. Get your buns up, move to another part of the room where you two can sit together as people on a level playing field. And I, I always say, if, if the temperature is high, walk and talk because it gives you something to do with your energy other than verbalize it. So if it's nice out, which is only about two weeks a year in South Dakota, then we take a walk outside. If it's not, we'll walk around the gym. I walk and talk with kids all the time. I walk and talk with families when I have to. I don't, I don't sit across the desk from kids. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm across the desk right now as I face my computer, but I've got three chairs on the other side of this. And if I'm meeting with a parent, a student, a teacher, I am not behind the Mrs. Perry desk. I meet teachers in their rooms and I meet students and families in a, on a level playing field. If you want to be further intimidating to a parent who already feels shaky, um, sit across your desk. And we don't think that because we don't think we're a big deal. And we actually think because of all the media and the this and the that, that people have no respect for us and educators are dogs. And there is some of that feeling, but that doesn't take away the feeling of inferiority that sits in some people's guts, in their hearts, in their minds. Well, and let's let's flip that with assistant principals. There are a lot of new assistant principals out there and and you may feel like, oh, I'm I'm not that big a deal, but you have new teachers coming in and you're yeah. The administrator, so there's that same kind of power dynamic. And so, yeah, get out and walk yep. and have those conversations, stand in the doorway informally and yep. have those kinds of conversations because- APs need to tap into how they feel in the presence of the principal, right? And hopefully there's a feeling, you know, a, 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 a level of respect and a level of this is an authority figure to me. What do they want? What does an AP want from the principal? That's what a teacher wants from an AP. Yeah. Let's jump to classroom management. And that's such a big area for assistant principals. What, what are the big leaps that you see that those three to five year teachers 
where can they see the biggest bang for the buck in terms of their skill improvement in the area of classroom management? Um, routines and consistent expectations. It's so interesting to me when I will go into a classroom and um, let's say that the students are supposed to put their reading book away and they're supposed to get a paper from the bin. And that just is a, it's just a, for nobody can hear that. It's just a mess for one minute, two minutes, three minutes. And that's when volume starts to escalate. Um, kids start to, you know, their fuses lit a little bit. Now they're kind of hopping and popping. Uh, I'm I'm a big I'm a big big fan of put your book away, get up, walk to get the paper, come back because that movement kind of helps us reset and kids shouldn't be sitting forever. But I would sit down and like let's say that becomes a pain point for the teacher and it's difficult to get them back. There needs to be then some kind of routine. Who goes first? You know, maybe maybe two of maybe there's four rows and two of the rows go and pick up the reading books and put them back while two of the rows get the papers and then. And, and maybe they put them on the uh, their their um, fellow students' desks. I would want to see built into every transition, especially, but this is true of blocks of teaching too, routines and expectations. Um, because then you have to spend so much time, so much less time explaining what you want. And to me, it's a go slow to go fast. This is what the first days of school, especially in K-8, K-6, need to be focused on. How do I want this to look? Now, as a principal or an AP, we have to understand that people have different tolerances for, I'll use the word shenanigans, right? Some people, all good with the shenanigans, maybe even want a few shenanigans. Some teachers, zero shenanigans. I can live with different levels of shenanigans as a school leader, as a building leader, but there's a, there's a ceiling for me. And even if a teacher's okay with it, I'm going to suggest some modifications to just bring it down a little bit, but I'm not going to go in. And if there's a little bit of shenanigans and this teacher seems to be fine, the kids seem to be fine and it's not the way I would do it, but it seems to be working for this individual. Or if the teacher is like absolutely no shenanigans and I'm probably somewhere in between there, I'm going to respect that as long as it's working for the classroom, but Routines for going to get a drink of water, going to get your lunch ticket, putting away your backpack, getting your shoes, and why we would think kids would know how to do this to our satisfaction without instruction is crazy to me. And we think everybody's just going to walk into our classroom and I guess by osmosis, you know, know what we expect. So we take some things for granted. Um, first days of school, you know, those those that text talk so much about routines and those expectations. And that's where there is so much room for growth. And then of course, consistent follow-up when um, expectations are not met. I mean, they're, they're just, there just has to be, but let me say that when teachers have engaging lessons that take the whole of an instruction period. Okay, so as a high school teacher, I have a 50 minute block. If I've only got engaging instruction for 40 of those minutes, I better hold on to my hat for 10. I'm, because it's good. What do I think is going to happen? So doing the work on the front end, painful, very painful. But you reap the benefits of the back end. And I also think that if you've got a 50-minute block of time like I do, I don't think about 50 minutes. 
And this is to engagement and to management. I think about 10 minutes, seven minutes, 12 minutes. Every one of my 50 minute blocks is broken up into minutes where we're going to be doing something different. So if this wasn't working for you, you don't have that long to be uncomfortable or to start to get squirrely because we're going to do something next. And that might meet your needs a little bit better. It's so funny. Variety, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, when you're just talking about, I don't think about 50 minutes, my head went to, I'm thinking about 53 minutes. What are the two minutes, the, the minute you walk in the door, which may be hopefully before the bell rings, what are you right. doing? And how am I, what condition am I sending you on, right. on the way out? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things I think we need to get better at as a profession is putting teachers in position to lead their own growth in their own professional development. Because when I walk in your classroom and I say, oh, Lisa, I see this thing that I think you need to work on. I now, I own that. You don't own that. Right. And, and, but if I can go in your classroom and we watch some things and we have that conversation and, and I can say, Lisa, what, what, what part of your teaching do you want to get better at? Or what part of your classroom do you want to see function better? Where's your interest? Mm -hmm. You're probably going to tell me something that's, that's important. Right. And even if I think it's something else, if it's a thing that you describe that you want, that makes it, I think, more important. So if you take that approach with those three to five-year teachers and, and say, what is the area that you would like to grow in? Is there a consensus? Do you see a typical pattern? Or are they going to be all over, their all over the place? What do you think? I'm going to back up just a little bit, and then I'll get to that question. So when you're talking about that and that difference between, here's what I want you to work on. And what would you like to work on? I think there's a little bit of a middle. Um, I like to describe people in two ways. You're either a blank eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper or you're a coloring book page, okay? I'm, I'm a coloring book page person. I don't want you to give me a blank paper and ask me to draw something or because I, I don't feel, I like rules, I like parameters. I like to know where the line is. And I think a lot of teachers are like that too. Of course, there's some exceptions, but a lot of us want to know the policy, want to know the procedure, want to make sure we're doing it right. And so I, I like a coloring book page. And I think the way that you can give a teacher a coloring book page, but then let them choose their colors, right? Because I'm not going to tell you, it's not a paint by number. Okay, so I give you a flower. You can pick any color you want. I take to a newish teacher, here are three areas of focus, communication, engagement, and management. Knowing these are our three pillars, what is something that you'd like to, to talk about and work on? Now I've gone from anything, which can be paralyzing. I can't, I can't believe how often when you ask kids to write, they're paralyzed by all the choices. You know, fewer choices is actually that you save some of your cognitive strength for the actual work when you're not going through your Rolodex of all the things that you could write about. So I like to say to teachers, here's three pillars and they're very general, right? But at least I feel like I've got something to hold on to, communication, engagement, management. Um, and through the course of a year, I'd like to focus on one aspect of any of those three. But where do you want to start? And then they have autonomy within that pillar to identify 
a need. So that's kind of the way that I have, you know, like I yeah. have control it. I'm a puppet master to a certain extent, but yet they're putting on their touches and they're deciding for themselves within a framework. Right. And I, I love the the visual that goes along with that, the blank page versus the coloring book. And it, yeah. it makes me think about the person that's kind of a constructivist learner where they yeah. just want to build it all. And the person that wants to have the whole and then go, you know, Right. Whole, and here I am apart. being guilty of, um, you know, I said, you can't expect yourself out of others. I, I said that earlier. And I, I'm expecting myself out of the teachers when I do this. Right. But, but I'm hoping that this kind of middle approach, you know, it's kind of Goldilocks. I'm not, I'm not like strapping you down saying, this is what you have to do. I'm not saying the world is your oyster. Let's talk about whatever you want. I'm, I'm hopefully I'm appeasing both extremes by saying, here's a framework choose within it. Well, and what I suspect too, is you're constantly having conversations with your teachers that, that aren't part of that formal coaching process. Right. And so if I'm checking in, Hey, how'd that lesson go today? What were your surprises? Is there anything you'd do differently? Right. I'm going to hear them yeah. talk and they're yeah. going to say, I just, if my, if I could get that engagement, if I could get students yep. to respond to my questions, it would make things so much better. And once yep. we hear that three times, now, if we know that's a coloring page, mm -hmm. coloring book person, we can go, we say, you know, what I've heard you talking a lot about the last yeah. three times is this, does that sound like something that you'd like to work on? And, and now we're kind of doing both, right? Because it yeah. is their thing. They're driving it putting it in a package that's easy for them to wrap their heads around. Right. Right. And easy for me to also kind of go into my own paradigms about those three general topics and okay, what, what do I have to offer in this way? I've got a really good friend who, if you're with her in February and you mentioned that you like some, like, Oh, these socks are cute. Or, Oh, I like this mug. You get it for Christmas. Like she's unbelievable. Like her ability to, to remember those little things you mentioned. So when you were talking about that, I was thinking about her and how much I appreciate, because I'll say it offhandedly, don't have any expectation. And then on December 25th, I'm unwrapping it. And she's like, don't you remember? We were in that little shop and you said you like this bracelet. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't, but I do. And so that there's a lot of, um, I think people who do that are seen as thoughtful and they're seen as warm, you know, people who, who are paying attention to what we're saying, and then they're meeting our needs based on it, or our wants based on it. So you've given me something to think about, too, how I can kind of channel my friend and her generosity, you know, that, that she's able to do, because she's so in tune with me, how I can do that in working with teachers. The, the thing that strikes me in that is that your friend is being present. Yeah, it's there's very. A, there's a difference between us just being together yeah. versus being fully present. And that's Absolutely. one of the things I actually love about doing the podcast is because I I have to be totally present uh -huh. and dialed in and really listening to what you're saying. And when we can be with the teachers and when we can put out all the other stuff, even though we're on our way to gym to deal with a situation, right. but I'm walking with that teacher, if I can be fully present, they will tell me those things. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. And then for me, um, it would, what I try to do for myself is I'll, I text myself. So if I'm visiting with somebody and they tell me something that I need to remember, I'm not as, maybe she texts herself too, or she's got a notebook. I don't know how she remember. Maybe she just remembers, but 
when I note something of significance, I have to record it somewhere. Otherwise it gets lost because there's a hundred things a day, you know? And so um, having some kind of a note taking system for those things and being able to discriminate between what really does matter and what's something that you can let go through your filter, because otherwise all you'd ever do is just compile notes and notes and notes of things you should act on. And you then you'd never act on any of them because you'd have too many. So being discriminatory is, is, um, important discriminating i should say is important too so that you can figure out what really matters and what needs to be held on to and what you can let go of lisa this has been great and we could go all day so i think so we're gonna have to have you back on the show but i want to start to wrap up this one today yeah so i always ask these these two questions at the end first what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at um, just not expecting myself out of others. I've had a certain way of acting, behaving, and thinking for 51 years. And sometimes my expectation is that others are going to act and think the way that I do. And I'm working on not just knowing, but but acting as acting knowing that there are lots of different ways to live this life. And some of them are no good, but most of them are just fine. And they're not for me but they're working well for somebody else and I don't need to impose myself on them. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. We've covered a lot. There've been a lot of highlights, I think from today, but if listeners could take away just one thing from our conversation, what would that be for all those assistant principals out there? Um, you know, you got to give to get. And uh, I'll go back to something that you highlighted earlier, that that idea that if we want to be able to have hard conversations with people and, and that's part of our job, then we want to we want to say yes when we can. We want to establish goodwill when we can, because there's going to be times that that it gets to be tough. And so, um, you know, find the good. Say yes, if you can. And expect expect that it's going to be emotional sometimes and be grateful for that. Be grateful that kids have somebody in their corner. Um, do parents always bring their, their best selves to us? No. Do we always show up as our best self? No. We got to grant each other some grace. So awesome. Thank you, Lisa. And Heck yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I know people after listening to this, they're going to want to get more of you and you're very active in LinkedIn. What's the best way for people to find out more about what Lisa is doing. Okay. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I've posted every day for three months. Um, I did that because I'm, I teach writers and I thought I want to teach my students how to be digital writers. And if I'm not going to walk the walk, I shouldn't talk the talk. So I'm, I show up on LinkedIn every day and uh, Lisa Perry, L-I-S-A-P-A-R-R-Y. And I've also got a website, www.principalperry.com. Um, I love to go around and speak. I would love to be a part of your next in-service or leadership team meeting. And uh, I, I love to offer workshops and, and show up at conferences. Um, so it'd be a pleasure to meet you. Find me, book me to speak, and I'll come in and talk more about these talking points that I had today. Awesome. And we will, of course, put links to those in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks so much. This has really been a pleasure. I appreciate you being generous with your time. Oh, and you. I know school's just getting started there, so you've got yeah. a lot going on. Um, yeah, so all good. Lisa, thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. All right. Bye. Goodbye.
There were so many gold nuggets in today's show. And they apply not just to the assistive principal's work with teachers, but to the assistive principal's work. Again, there's so much here, but I'm going to encourage you to hold on to one of these things. I'm going to go over five highlights. Hold on to one of them. First is this idea of career stages, that we go through the stage of first, we don't know what we don't know. And then we slowly realize that there's a lot of stuff we don't know. And then we move into that space of mastery and we feel like, yes, we know. And then you get into this elder space. It's almost a place of moving into a form of wisdom where you have lots of knowledge, lots of expertise, but you also then realize there is still so much that you don't know. So think about where you are in your career stage. Think about where your teachers are in their career stages and then use that to make sense of your interactions with people and how you think about yourself and your own work. The second concept from today is that incremental changes add up. And Lisa talked about an example of helping teachers with the way they phrase a question to the class. It's one small, discrete change, but it can mean that so much more rich conversations and rich contributions by people come into the classroom. And so those incremental changes absolutely add up. And so when you're working with teachers, resist the urge to think about doing something big. Just focus on making one small incremental change because that incremental change that I can implement tomorrow is worth a lot more than the big idea that's going to take me three months to master. Third, and the theme of the show, as I framed it in the introduction, is this idea of making deposits before withdrawals. You heard that throughout the show and it comes up in multiple ways. And I guess if you just took the one thing away, that's probably what I would emphasize. Fourth is the whole place of emotion and understanding. It is not about us. When kids are mad about, when kids have conflict with teachers, kids are, air quotes, disrespectful. Most of the time, it is not about that teacher. It's about something else in the students' lives. And when parents blow up on us, it's not about us. It's about other things that are going on. And when we can understand it's not about us and we can pull our emotion back, then we can start to figure out what the real story is. The other piece of that, and I'm so appreciative that Lisa raised this, is that in the absence of knowledge, we make stuff up. So when that parent comes in and they're excited, they're upset, we don't really know why they are, but we make assumptions and we start to create a narrative or a story about why that parent is upset before we ever know. And oftentimes, I know in my life, I shouldn't transfer it to yours, but for me, many times the assumptions that I make about other people are based on the assumptions I have or the way that I see myself. And so as I try to transfer the way I see myself to others, I usually make really bad assumptions about why people are behaving the way they do. Finally, 
working with teachers, Lisa and I talked about how some people are a blank page and other people are a coloring book. And I, but I think there's a, a commonality that comes out of that. And that is if we are consistently having conversations with teachers, and I don't mean sitting down and doing coaching sessions or reviewing data, I mean things like that five minute coaching where you just say, Hey, tell me something good that came out of your lesson. What surprised you? Is there anything that you would do differently? Having those kinds of conversations, we are going to hear from teachers the things that they're celebrating, but also the things that are challenging them. And when we're fully present and we listen to that, then we can start to put together that little list of things for each teacher that they may want to work on. And we can come back and we can steer a conversation, but not steer it in the way that we want it to go, but we can steer it in the way it needs to go because we can see that's what's important to that teacher. So we can present the blank page, but we also can use the teacher's own words in our conversations with that teacher to present the coloring book outline. So five things, those four career stages, incremental changes add up over time. We need to make deposits before withdrawals. It's not about us. And finally, working with teachers and taking them to the place where they can identify what they need. Okay, I guess that wraps it up. I wanna say, oh, that's it for today, but that was a lot. Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. If you'd like to walk more with me, I have a couple simple ways you can do so. First, you can subscribe to my daily email. It comes out Monday through Friday, about 200 words, 6 a.m. delivered to your inbox, and there's always a lesson and then a daily intention to help you move into your work and be more intentional about your leadership. Another way that you can work with me is to invest nine bucks a month and about 20 minutes of your time to become a supporting member of our community. You'll get early and unfettered access to our free courses, a discussion area, and a library of past content. You'll also be helping me to continue investing both time and money in producing this podcast, writing the daily email, and producing other free content. Finally, for $69 a month, you can become a full member of our Apex community and join me for monthly group coaching and lots of other perks. You can get details and links for all of these things at my website at frederickbuskey.com. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap and explore the week's daily leadership emails. Please remember to subscribe and rate this podcast. Rating the show helps others find it. And if you want to be a super fan, consider leaving a review. Again, you'll be helping others find the show and you'll be making me smile. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers.